Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This week on Hometown Ghost Stories. Tuberculosis has been a killer for thousands of years. The disease hit the United States especially hard in the early 1900s. Louisville, Kentucky had one of the highest death rates in the country, forcing them to build the Waverly Hills Sanatorium. How many of these ghosts still walk the halls? This is episode number 20 of Hometown Ghost Stories, Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky, 2005. Aiden looked out his bedroom window. Still nobody outside. It was past 11 p.m. now. (laughs) They're not coming. Thank God. He turned back on his TV and dropped onto his bed. He was just starting to drift off to sleep when he heard the unmistakable sound of a car turning down the dirt road outside. Aiden got up and looked out his window again. The driver turned off his headlights and slowly rolled up to the house, coming to a stop at the end of his driveway. Ugh, fuck it. I guess we're doing this. He looked around the room, grabbed his backpack and a flashlight off of his desk, and slowly opened the bedroom window. The backpack hit the ground with a thud as he tossed it from the second story, then slipped out and climbed down. He jogged over to the car and hopped in the back seat. They hadn't even put the car in drive when Tim blurted out, Thought you were gonna pussy out, bro. Why are you even here? Aiden fired back. Can't stand this dude, he thought to himself. They turned off of Aiden Street flicked the headlights back on and sped up. Aiden looked to his left. All five of them were squeezed into this four-door coupe. Lenny tossed a beer onto Aiden's lap. Catch up, bro. You're like three behind. He cracked the beer and looked down at it. It's warm, he muttered to himself. They turned onto Parley Drive and started to make their way up the long, windy road. It was a warm night in Kentucky, but a thick fog covered the area. Dan turned off the headlights again and rolled a few more feet before pulling the car off the road, putting the car in park. Where's this place? Lenny asked. It's up the hill, but there's security, so we'll have to go on foot from here. Aiden hopped out of the car and tossed his half-empty beer into the woods. Everyone followed and looked up the hill. They could just barely make out the outline of the massive structure, even from down the hill. There it is. Pop the trunk, Tim whispered to Dan. He made his way around to the back of the car and pulled out an axe, swinging it up onto his shoulder. The fuck is that for, you psychopath? In case we can't get in, or if we can't get out. Everyone chuckled nervously and they turned to make their way up the hill. They stuck to the windy road mostly, until they were almost at the gate. They took a right ducking into the woods. Lenny stumbled over a stick and flicked on his flashlight. Turn that shit off before you get us caught, Dan whispered back at him sharply. I can't see anything, bro. We're right here, let's just hop the fence and book it. There was no sign of security guards in sight, so they did just that. All five of them hopped the fence and ran full speed towards the giant building. Jack stumbled, smashing his flashlight on the ground, batteries scattering in different directions. Leave it. Come on, let's go. They lined up under the massive arches of the main entrance, looking for a way in. All of a sudden, crash. Tim had put the handle of his axe through a window and cleared out the broken pieces before jumping through. Let's go, boys. Everyone scurried through the busted window. Aiden looked up at the building one more time before following his friends. He could just barely make out the letters on the sign above him. Waverly Hills Sanatorium. He hopped through the window, clicked on his flashlight, and began to make his way down the hall. The building was certainly in rough shape. 
Graffiti lined the walls. There was debris, trash, and puddles on the floor. It felt about 20 degrees colder than it was outside. Aiden aimed his flashlight down the hall. What is that? At the end of the hallway, a dark shadow had slowly moved around a corner, disappearing into one of the patient's rooms. Did you see that? Aiden turned around and realized he was talking to nobody. He must have made their way upstairs, he thought to himself. He continued down the hallway, picking up the pace a little bit. He could hear footsteps above him now, and figured that the group was moving on without him. Guys, wait up! He called out as he ran up the staircase. Aiden shined his flashlight down the hall, but didn't see anyone. Where the hell are these idiots? Dude, where are you going? Aiden turned around at the bottom of the stairs. All four of his friends were standing there looking at him. Come on, we found something, Lenny said. Aiden turned around and took one last look down the hallway. Who had he just heard moving around up there? Yeah, let's go. He made his way back down with the group. They turned down another hallway and up to an old rusty door with a number four above it. I thought we were looking for room 502. Isn't that supposed to be the haunted room? Dan looked back at him as he pushed open the old metal door. This whole place is haunted. There was like thousands of people who died here. They all stood in the middle of the dark room. They shined their flashlights around, spotting an old hospital gurney and a wheelchair in the corner of the room. What's so special about this room? Just then, all five of their flashlights flickered and died. They looked at each other but didn't have a chance to say anything when BAM! The metal door slammed shut. What the fuck, dude? Jack ran over the door and tried to open it back up. Open it, yelled Lenny. I can't, it's stuck. That's impossible, Aiden whispered under his breath as he made his way over the door. He lunged forward, plunging his shoulder into the metal door, but it didn't budge. Aiden turned around. Give me a hand, everyone push. But Jack was just standing straight up, staring into the corner of the room. What are you doing? Help us out. Jack said nothing, just continued to stare into the right corner of the room. What are you staring at? Jack raised his arm and pointed at the corner. But his focus snapped and shifted to the left corner. Two black shadows filled the corners of each room. But then, the shadows began to close in. What the fuck is that? All five of them were in the middle of the room now. They turned towards the door, but stumbled backwards. Two more shadow figures were closing in from the other side. There was nowhere to go. A stench filled the air, and they could see their breath. It was freezing. Aiden's ears started to ring, a piercing noise that grew louder and louder. Tim picked up his axe and swung it at one of the shadow figures, but went right through him and tumbled to the ground. Give me that, Aiden yelled. Tim slid the axe across the floor to him. Aiden grabbed the axe and ran for the door. Back up. He swung it at the side of the door frame over and over. The ringing of metal on metal echoed through the sanatorium. The shadows continued to close in, and all five of them were screaming now. Hurry up, Jack yelled, as Aiden continued to chop at the door. All of a sudden, there was a bang in the hallway. Everything stopped. They looked around the room. The shadows were gone. Who's in there? What's going on? A voice came from the hallway. We're locked in here. Help us get out, Lenny cried. Locked? The voice said. And then they heard him chuckle a bit. The door crept open, and a flashlight shined through. Everyone let out a sigh of relief. <sighs> yeah, a lot easier when you have a key, Tim said to the security guard as he picked up his axe and shouldered his way through the group, making his way out of the room. The security guard looked him up and down. I don't need a key. This door has never had a lock on it. I'm Jesse Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, the Waverly Hills Sanatorium, Louisville, Kentucky.
white death. Tuberculosis has existed for thousands of years. Researchers have found evidence of tubercular decay in the spines of Egyptian mummies dating back from 3000 to 2400 BC. TB most commonly affects the lungs, but it can infect any part of your body. The disease is transmitted when infected people expel aerosol droplets via sneezing, coughing, spitting, talking, or even singing. If left untreated, pulmonary tuberculosis will kill about 50% of those infected. Before the Industrial Revolution, many associated tuberculosis with vampires. When a member of a family died from TB, the other family members would lose their health slowly. People believed vampires were draining their lives one by one. TB was not identified as a single disease until 1820. Before this time, the illness fell under the umbrella term of consumption because the disease seemed to consume people over time, causing weight loss, fever, loss of appetite, night sweats, and sometimes nail clubbing. In the early 1900s, America was ravaged by the deadly disease, which wouldn't see a cure for decades. Entire families were wiped out, and sometimes entire towns. The preferred method of treatment at the time was lots of rest, relaxation, fresh air, and a well-balanced diet. Sanatoriums began to pop up all around the country and around the world. As doctors became more aware of how this disease was transmitted, they quickly needed to find a way to get the infected away from the general public and quarantine them in these hospitals where some of them could recover. In 1883, Major Thomas H. Hayes purchased a plot of land on top of a hill in Louisville, Kentucky. He would have a small schoolhouse built there for his daughter since the commute to school was too long. He hired a woman by the name of Lizzie Lee Harris to teach at the small schoolhouse. As a fan of Walter Scott's Waverly novels, she named the schoolhouse the Waverly School, and taking a liking to the name, Hayes named the entire area the Waverly Hills. In 1900, Louisville, Kentucky was hit especially hard, with one of the highest death rates in the country. The city, which was built on low swampland, was effectively a breeding ground for the tuberculosis bacteria. The small schoolhouse on Waverly Hills was converted into a two-story sanatorium, consisting of an administrative building and two open-air pavilions, which could house 20 patients each. At the time, it was intended for the treatment of early cases of TB. In the summer of 1912, all of the tuberculosis patients from the city hospital were moved into Waverly Hills, where they stayed in tents on the grounds as temporary quarters. By December, they expanded the hospital for another 40 patients. Two years later, they added another 50 beds for children, bringing the capacity to around 130 patients. The housing was not just for sick children, but was also to care for the children of parents who were hospitalized, where they otherwise would have nobody to care for them. Their goal was to add a new building every year to house more patients. The structures at the time were all wooden and needed constant repairs. The city recognized the need for a more durable structure and a vast expansion as the disease continued to ravage the community. In March of 1924, construction began on a five-story building that would hold more than 400 patients. The Waverly Hills Sanatorium, as it stands today, opened on October 17, 1926. Here we are in a large southern sanatorium. This one has beds for 500 patients. Altogether, there are now 90,000 such beds available. Rest and more rest, as Trudeau discovered when he himself took the cure as a young doctor. Yes, and good food. Nowadays, doctors don't stuff patients with more milk and eggs than they can digest. Just good, well-balanced meals, enough to gain weight on. Mmm, smell those delicious loaves. New ways of resting the lung have been developed. This patient is getting pneumothorax treatment. Air is let into the chest cavity, and that rests the lung so that it can heal. When the diseased lung is fully healed, it is allowed to expand again. A lifesaver for many. Despite a lack of knowledge about the disease and how to cure it, the staff did their best at the time to help patients recover. 
The building had a balcony that stretched the length of the sanatorium where they would wheel patients out to get fresh air. They would sit out there for hours while nurses and doctors shifted their positions from time to time. There was no shortage of blankets at the hospital, so patients would be bundled up and left out even in the winter to get as much air as possible. The actual number of patients that died at this hospital is unknown, but it's estimated in the thousands. Some say it's upward of 50,000, but that number seems highly inflated. Most historians put it around one death a day, which is still a staggering amount considering the main sanatorium was only operational for about 20 years. Death was so common that they used a supply tunnel under the building to transport the bodies. This helped to keep morale up as surviving patients were shielded from how many of their fellow patients and friends were dying every week. Staff would use a pulley system inside the chute to wheel bodies down to an awaiting hearse. In 1943, with the introduction of streptomycin, an antibiotic used to treat TB and other bacterial infections, cases around America began to drop, and one by one, the sanatoriums closed their doors. Without the need for such a large hospital, the Waverly Hills Sanatorium shut down in June of 1961. In 1962, the building was reopened as the Woodhaven Geriatric Center, a nursing home for the elderly suffering from various stages of dementia, as well as the severely mentally handicapped. The nursing home was understaffed and overcrowded. There were reports of over-neglect, with one case of a man in a wheelchair falling or being pushed down an elevator shaft where he died. The state of Kentucky shut down the Woodhaven Geriatric Center in 1982. In 1983, the building was purchased by J. Clifford Todd for over $3 million, who planned to have the massive structure turned into a minimum security prison for the state. They abandoned the plans after backlash and protests from the community. In 1996, Robert Allerhasky bought Waverly Hills and planned to raise enough money to construct the largest statue of Jesus in the world, as well as a worship center. The statue, inspired by the Christ the Redeemer statue towering over Rio de Janeiro, was intended to be 150 feet tall and 150 feet wide. Plans fell through when they were unable to raise more than $3,000 for the estimated $8 million project. In 2001, the building was sold to its current owners, Tina and Charlie Mattingly. Since then, they have been hosting paranormal enthusiasts who tour and investigate the building, which has been widely regarded as one of the most haunted places in the world. They use the money from these investigators as well as other events around Halloween to restore the property. By the time they purchased the building in 2001, it was in rough shape. Over time, it had become vandalized by local teenagers. Homeless people were in and out constantly, and the elements had taken its toll on the property. Windows were smashed out, valuables stolen, walls broken, doors had been ripped from their hinges. Around town, the sanatorium became known as a very haunted place. So who are the ghosts of Waverly Hills Sanatorium? There's the ghost of a little boy with his leather ball. His ghost and his ball will sometimes appear on the floor. Visitors who don't want to wait around to find it will sometimes bring a ball of their own. He's been known to kick it down the hallway, roll it around, and occasionally take the ball to another floor altogether. The ghost of a young girl has also been seen. She will run up and down the third floor solarium. If she isn't there, she's also been seen and heard running up and down the nearby staircases. There's also a woman with bleeding wrists screaming for help. A ghostly hearse has been seen in the back of the building, dropping off coffins at the body chute. Visitors reported seeing lights on in the building at a time when there was no power in the entire sanatorium. People claimed to hear doors slam, strange sounds, and footsteps in empty rooms. In the kitchen, visitors smell food cooking. People have seen a door swinging shut under its own power in the cafeteria, as well as the scent of bread baking. Many report hearing footsteps in here as well. There has also been a spirit of a man in a white coat who will walk around this area, disappearing into the kitchen. The most controversial legend of the Waverly Hills Sanatorium is on the fifth floor. There were two nurse stations, a medicine room, two dormitories, a linen room, and a pantry. These dormitories were for staff at the hospital. All of the nurses who worked in the sanatorium lived there, as to limit the spread of the disease. In one of those dormitories, 
there sits room 502. People have reported hearing disembodied voices, as well as seeing shapes move in the windows. It's believed that a nurse was found dead in this room in 1928. Some say she hanged herself from a lighting fixture, while others say she hanged herself from the pipes on the ceiling in the hallway outside the room. It's believed that after an affair with one of the doctors at the hospital, the nurse had found out she was pregnant and couldn't take it. Instead, she took her own life. In 1932, another nurse jumped off the roof to her death. She had been stationed in room 502. Visitors report seeing shadow figures dart across the room and have even caught a glimpse of a spectral nurse standing by the window. Visitors have had objects thrown at them on this floor and have reported to see a ghost-like creature crawling along the ceiling. People have been slapped, hit, and scratched by unseen hands. Apparitions appear in corridors and doorways. The sound of gurneys being wheeled down the body chute has been captured on recording devices, as well as labored breathing and strange groans. Shadow figures have been captured in photos and videos wandering down the tunnel. Many of the rooms at the Waverly Hills Sanatorium have metal doors. One of those rooms is marked with a number four above it. If you enter that room and turn around, letting the door close behind you, you'll notice that on the door frame and on the door, there are multiple indents made from an axe. Someone was trying to escape, but there is no lock on that door, and there never has been. So what was holding that door shut while somebody chopped away at it over and over, desperately trying to get out? And what was he trying to escape from? The Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Louisville, Kentucky. friends and welcome into hometown ghost stories episode number 20 i'm jesse wilkins i'm joined by rob coakley and dave wilkins and that was the waverly hills sanatorium what's up guys just just another place i want to go to we're just hitting like how do you not want to go to these well i guess if you're not a psychopath like us you wouldn't want to go but how do you like see one of these and you're like dude i need to go there like i just need to go to this place i need to experience it so I may or may not have plugged it into Google Maps and just to see how far it was, just to see if I should just drive up there. <laughs> I, I was um, like, I should probably do it. <laughs> I looked at uh, plane tickets for Atchison, Kansas, just to see like how crazy it would be to make a day trip out there. And uh, uh, it would be a little bit too crazy. <laughs> yeah. But mm-hmm. I've looked into it. I've looked into driving to these places. Like th- there's a few. Uh, it's, just, it's just crazy how many of these places I'm like. I need to get to these places at some point in my life. Sophie's in. She's uh, dropped in the comments. She said, when are we going? Uh, we <laughs> should do it soon. We should do it soon. Maybe put a, a couple months in between so we could do some more episodes so we just don't do Waverly Hills again. <laughs> <All right. laughs> you know, but uh, what, what, a, what an insane location. So um, the uh, Pac-Man's in as well. That's good. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, so the, I mean, we can start with the death toll. So, well, let's let's start with the comments because I don't know if you guys noticed this, but while we were showing the video, we had Mike Sullivan in the comments saying that he went there for a uh, overnight like seven years ago. He didn't encounter much, 
And then he says, but he got a great photo of a distorted face in the body shoot. And he I don't says, consider that much. <laughs> well, and then he says that um, the other thing that happened was when he put a ball upstairs where the kids stayed, it moved a few times. So he's like us where he's like, no, nah, I didn't get anything. And then he just starts talking about <laughs> all these things that you get and you just don't realize it until yeah. you start talking about you it. You realize just how crazy it was afterwards. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, we said this about like the, the last trip in the conjuring house. And it's like, when you go with a bunch of friends, you're having fun. You yeah. know, it, it's, it, if you were to go by yourself, it might be a whole different experience. And it really is. And I had mentioned that, um, in Rhode Island at, at the Conjuring House, when everybody left and I went back in just to get a few pictures, that's when I was terrified. It took all night for me to be terrified and me being by myself was a whole different thing. That Ooh. takes me back kind of like to Chad Lindbergh's um, ghost show and he would go in by himself and this might have been why he was so scared shitless in every single episode. All right. <laughs> Maybe this is an element of, of ghost hunting that we need to do is just get everyone else out of the room and send one person at a time. You who guys do that we, to me every time we go. So yeah, I was going to say, who do we lock in to the Houghton Mansion? One of us we sent in, and it wasn't me, because I remember being outside. I was um, in the, the Mason's Lodge by myself. You guys oh, that, building, that building was so big that we had split up into different part of the, parts of the houses. I was in that weird room by myself, which was terrifying. That was the one room I got goosebumps in, like that I was like really scared. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, this, this is another one that's, it's clearly absolutely massive. And if we were to go and split up, I mean, obviously I think the tour groups that they do there are like huge and yeah. it doesn't matter because the place is so big. I mean, you got, even if you're there with five groups, you can split up into five different floors and never right. run into each other. So it's, um, it's definitely a, a building with, <clears throat> with plenty to explore and plenty of room to not interfere Lots of room to run and escape the ghost if it hunts you. That's right. That is absolutely right. So the um, oh, uh, Fox Crown says he's got a uh, JetBlue cre- travel credit. So you know, start uh, start putting it together. I guess that's the uh, that's where really hits. So, that so, Jet JetBlue travel credit right over to our Patreon. Yeah, it's a little donation right there. <laughs> <laughs> so I do want to talk about. Um, I want to start with like the the death toll because this is the one that like people are like oh I, I've seen it I saw it all over Instagram this week. And they were posting like over 50,000 people have died here, over 60,000 people have died here. But most historians that look at the cases and look at the time frame that it was open, they find that number to be impossible. It would have to be like seven to 10 people a day for those numbers to make sense. And, um, you know, doctors at the time who were writing about it. Well, it was no joke. But here's the thing is like you you don't have to inflate it because there was still at least one person a day that died there. And if you think of the height of it when they converted it to a five-story building – um, it, it, when it, when that was around when they were at the height of deaths, I guess. But you know, you're talking like 23 years, one person a day. That puts you like easily over 7,000 deaths. My math might be terrible. And like, why do you have to inflate 7,000 deaths for one location? That's so many. They, they, like, you don't need to. It's, it's already a lot. It's crazy. So, um, I feel like you don't have to inflate it all the way up to. 50 or 60,000, but I mean, you don't need to, but that's, that's just how people tell stories. It Always. is. Yeah. You start you telling a story, that. then you start like getting like uh, self-conscious, like, Oh man, what if the story isn't as crazy as I hyped it up to be? And everyone thinks I'm a jerk. Yeah. So, so they've, the they've tried to, the number is apparently at least 11,000. I guess there's a team of people that have started reaching out to families who lost loved ones at the, um, at the sanatorium and they've gotten 
a lot of responses. So they've been able to verify, I believe it was like around 11,000 deaths at the property just from um, families, death records and everything. So it's a lot. It's definitely a lot. And um, we're talking again about early 1900s where record keeping isn't great. So there's that. And then there's also. That should just be the name of our podcast. The early 1900s where record keeping wasn't that great. Wasn't so good. With Jesse, Rob, and Dave. Can't verify any of this, but here are the stories. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a ton of ghost stories. I've seen, I've, I've heard some really interesting EVPs come out of this building. Mm. And, um, there, there is absolutely some crazy stuff. Someone did the math for me. One death a year for seven years is about 25, 55 deaths. What did I say? 7,000? Wow, my math is terrible. Is that why you guys But but it's supposed to be, no, it's supposed to be 20 years though, right? I think for for seven years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So 365 times seven. Oh my God. We're doing math on the podcast now. We're just. Oh yeah. But it was times 23 though. Yeah. Because that's how many years. That's just how many years it was the five story building, which puts us over 8,000. So. There we go. Anyways, um, yeah, because it was the schoolhouse, and then they converted it into a two-story, and then they kind of just added on a building every single year, so they increased it to thirty patients, fifty patients, seventy patients, or whatever, and then um, and then they built it into the five-story building. So that's that, guys. I'm gonna let you take it away for a minute. I got a little emergency. I'll be right back. Yeah. So when I was watching this, because we get to like. Um, Obviously, the three of us are going over this before we post it live. The crawling on the ceiling ghost is terrifying. Yeah, that's one that I would like to do a little bit more research on and see if they got some video footage of that. I doubt it very much, but uh, that one sounds like it will be the most terrifying. That sounds like it's something straight out of a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they, you know, they, 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 uh, that you just assume is like something that somebody came up with in, some, in, in their head. You know, you never expect to hear that in like a true ghost story, something that happened in real life, you know? Well, you go back to, and I agree with you to it, but then you go back to us in Vermont and just absolutely seeing something crawling over like a yeah, guard, guard room, rail. which is, it's like, well, if it's crawling over a guardrail, why can't it be crawling on the ceiling? Right. If there's a ceiling. So, yeah, I mean, I know our minds probably probably play tricks on her sometimes, and that could have definitely been the case. But just to even see that a little bit would be terrifying. We're talking a lot of shit in the comments right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I see that. It's... <laughs> Pretty awesome that I have a block button that I'll be utilizing shortly. <laughs> oh, man. I wonder what Jesse's uh, emergency is. Do you think it's uh, ghost-related? He lives in a quasi-haunted house. He does live in a He's going to have to go over that story at some point. Um, so Pac-Man Frog says, The shadows closing in on people is interesting because it seems like the spirits aren't afraid to approach people. Who knows what their intentions are? Well, that's very true, and this is the stuff that we go over, especially with these bigger places with multiple hauntings. So you have the two children ghosts, which still the creepiest thing of all time to me is children ghosts, whether they're (laughs) demons or not. But just the the fact that there's like this ghost child playing with a ball, a leather ball, too, of all things, like the most terrifying thing. 
I th- well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't find leather particularly terrifying, but I feel like that during that time period. Aesthetically, you're in a haunted <laughs> asylum, and there's this leather ball from 1902. You guys talking about my jacket? Flying down the hallway. Is that the emergency? No, nah, I'm just kidding. It's denim, so not an emergency. Oh, okay. Now, uh, little man's been sick for the last couple of days, and uh, I heard, heard him pan- a, panicking. Uh, we, were, we were hoping it was a paranormal emergency because your house is haunted. That is also true, but no, it was not. All right, what I miss? We were talking about the ghost that was crawling on the ceiling. Oh yeah, yeah. So there's uh there's been a few settings of that. I don't know what you guys covered or not, but it seems that some people see it, some people don't, and um, I don't know if it's all multiple story, sightings then. Yes, yeah. Okay. So I was listening to one podcast in particular where there was a team. I believe it was like four people, and the way that you conjure this thing is. Uh, one person will go down the hall and he'll face the group and the rest of the group will face him. And that's supposed to, and then it's supposed to creep up behind the guy that's standing by himself. And um, what was weird about this one, I might be getting the story a little bit wrong, but what was weird about this one is they saw the creature crawling and then they said they saw the person walk away. He walked like into a side room and then, um, and then, they're like, where are you going? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm right here. And then they all saw him again. They're like, what? We all just saw you walk away. What? You know, like they all thought he just got bored and left. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, something, something along those lines. But there, there was that, and the, there was a whole other team. They did the same experiment. They saw it. It seems like the person that's the decoy um, doesn't always see it. So, but there, there's been a whole bunch of different accounts. So I, I don't. I might be getting this uh, story relatively wrong, but that's one of the uh, one of the creatures that they've seen there. I don't know if it's a creature or a ghost or what, but crawling on the ceiling is uh, pretty cool. That so was... the, back to, back to I, I did have a point I wanted to make about uh, Pac-Man's comment there. The shadows closing in on people is interesting because it seems like the spirits aren't afraid to approach people who knows what their intentions are. So a lot of the ghost stories that we've covered are stories where people have died violently and the ghosts seem to be spiteful and maybe, you know, don't re- accept their death or, or whatnot. Like here, these people were sick with tuberculosis, obviously not a favorable way to die, but, um, you know, they weren't really wronged, I don't think, you know, or murdered or so you wonder about spiteful spirits or hateful spirits. Maybe they're mad that they died because they're sick. But um, if if you if you think about that theory, what? Well, there's that. But there's also the fact that with tuberculosis, since they didn't know what they were doing at the time, treating this disease. A lot of people say that the the treatment was worse than the disease itself. So they're going in, they're collapsing a lung, making you breathe off one lung. While they uh, there was there was another treatment where they like would open open up your chest cavity to let the lungs get fresh air. Yeah, and and there was like do there was literally like a two percent survival rate from that treatment. That that would be with like the most extreme cases. But like you said, like like I said, so so if someone dies from that, maybe they are pissed off. Like, Like maybe they are an angry spirit that they died to some unbelievably painful. Yeah. Wouldn't you be? Yeah. (laughs) Like you want to get fresh air to my lungs? Like, like open. What are we doing here? We're just going to air it out a little bit. (laughs) uh, I mean, I I mean, I know medicine was like evolving and we were learning, but at some point somebody had to be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe cutting people open to let the insides breathe is a bad idea. (laughs) Science. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Stephanie says, uh, 
that's one of the only times I'd volunteer as tribute. That way I don't see it talking about the, the creature on the, uh, on the roof. Yeah, but I want to see it. Until I see it. When I see it, then I don't want to see it anymore. (laughs) It's easy to say that from the comfort of your home. Yes. (laughs) Walk in the halls of the the Waverly Hills sanatorium, you might not feel the same way. Yeah, I definitely want to get into it. So there's like, I always say like, I really want to go to this place or this type of place. Sanatorium is definitely up there. We need to, we need to go to a sanatorium. 100%. I'm so sad that there's one, or was one right down the street from me. I believe it was a TB hospital. And they just tore it down because people kept breaking in. And then I think it was eventually like some kids set the building on fire. And that's when they were like, all right, let's just demolish this thing. Was that the one at Hanson? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was just a few years ago, they tore it down. My brother-in-law's house is literally like on the grounds. So we could have just walked right through his backyard and been in there, but it's gone now. It's just a field. Mm. Pretty sad about that. That was one that, that like when we were in high school, everyone's like, oh, we're going to the tuberculosis hospital this weekend. We're going to, break it and find some gold. It was basically the, exactly what the kids out in uh, Waverly were doing or out in um, Louisville were doing was mm-hmm. they would break in, vandalize the place, hunt for ghosts, trash the place, break some windows, cause trouble, get arrested. And that That's what people, the, Dave, did you experience that in high school? Everyone talking about going up to the, uh, the Hanson. Yeah, there was the Hanson. Well, there's one in, is there one in Pembroke too? Or am I that's, just thinking that's of Pembroke Hospital? Act, that's still Pembroke is an active, active in San Asylum. But the, there's uh, another one. Taunton, there's one in Taunton. Taunton's the one that our school always talked about. Yeah, I guess Adam Wright lives super close to that one, so we'll have to talk to him, see if we can set something up. I don't believe that they're open for any sort of tours or rented out for paranormal experiences. I think it's just closed that's, and off I think it's abandoned, so. Taunton. I think you get arrested for breaking in. Exactly. That's why I'm saying I don't think that's an option to do it legally. So. That's never stopped us before. Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I do want to talk about the axe story. So the axe story was kind of the story that I opened with where I kind of created my own version of it, but it is an actual paranormal encounter that happened at that building. And I alluded it towards the end of the building as well. And you could still go into that hospital and you could still go into that room and find that door that has all of those axe marks. And what's interesting about that and the parts of the story that are true, number one, there's obviously ax marks in the door. Number two, there is not a lock on that door and there never has been. And number three is they did the, the teenagers that were in there did claim that they saw shadow figures closing in from the corners around them. And that's what caused them to panic. They tried to break open the door and then the security guard did basically my entire story was correct, except Aiden probably didn't look like me in a plaid shirt. And uh, here or there for, uh, for audio listeners, you know, you can check out the video. I may or may not have started my own video here, but it's very shocking that you inserted yourself into something that you didn't need to. So, <laughs> What do you mean? I'm a spotlight hound? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Just, I'm not like that. This is a great visual joke for all of the podcast listeners. That's right. So as we continue on here, um, yeah, so that story is pretty much true. Security guard verified it. And I guess you can go there and it's, it's hard to figure out what was holding the door shut tight enough for someone to be swinging an axe at it. So even if a kid was just trying to destroy the door, he didn't just hit the door frame. He also hit the door. So someone either must've been standing on the other side, holding the door shut, either pranking him or just doing it just to help him mess up the door or something. You know, they're teenagers who, who knows what they're trying to do there. Or, or he was slamming the door with the axe. And then one of his buddies was like, dude, and pulls it open. <laughs> From the oh, so uh, yeah, maybe it was a uh, pushing when you should be pulling. <laughs> that could have been it. Who knows? So uh, that's interesting story, and, and that's another thing that you could see when you're at the sanatorium is you can go see that room where 
um, that door was was being held shut by something while being slammed on with an axe. So that's definitely definitely pretty interesting. And then was there's there, a few more. Go ahead. Was there like any other ghost that you weren't able to fit into the episode? Because I know it's like this probably could have been a two or three parter. So is there anything that like you didn't get into the episode that you? There's ones that I, I, I briefly mentioned, but I couldn't find much more information on. Uh, now, I'm sure there's a whole lot more. So I mentioned pretty much all the ones that I could find. So if, if anybody else knows some stories, let us know. But the one that really I wanted more context on was this ghost of a woman with bleeding wrists who oh, was yeah. screaming. And that was like the only information I could find. I saw it on multiple websites and multiple books that just, just said that one sentence. So I, too, just said that one sentence. So I was like, I would kind of like to know a little bit more about this situation. But... Um, you know, there's, there's a few cases where it's not just people that died from tuberculosis at the hospital, but also nurses who had committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. that's one of the ways that a nurse committed suicide. But the two ways that I had heard was one had hanged herself and one had jumped off the roof. Yeah. The other thing that you brought up was the tunnels where they bring the bodies so that the other patients, and this isn't the only place that I've seen that did that around this time. There was mm-hmm. multiple hospitals of this type that that was the go-to they would build these tunnels underneath and they would transport all the bodies for the day through those tunnels which is terrible you know like it's practical it makes sense it's also like dehumanizing and it's like yeah kind of so kind of reminds me of the edinburgh vaults yeah they're a big dead body tunnel there was yeah i don't know if that was its original intent but yeah that one connected from the hospital or the medical school to the tunnel and they would use that one more specifically to steal bodies. Body snatchers would transport them through the tunnel to the hospital to sell them to doctors who couldn't get hold of bodies at the time for science. So there's that, the, the tunnel I believe at Waverly was originally built as like a supply, a supply line where they were just, that was how they would get supplies in and out of the building. They had like a whole like pulley system kind of thing uh, where they would transport goods up and down. But then it was like so many people were dying that, they didn't want other patients to see that how many people were actually dying because that would be de- demoralizing, right? You see all these people dying, getting wheeled out, everything. So I think they would probably wait until everyone's asleep and then they would, they would take them down and wheel them through the chute rather than rolling them straight through the uh, front parking lot. I also uh, heard that those tunnels were used for body storage during the winter. Yeah, you could probably get away with it if it's cold enough. You don't have to worry about refrigerated storage. That might make sense. And if it's like harder to get uh, ambulances or hearses up the because it's on top of a hill too. So if it's a really snowy winter and they can't get transportation out, they probably just stored them right in the, in the tunnel until, you know, the snow thawed. Captain McSlug is here. Welcome Captain McSlug. He says, imagine being an overnight security guard at the most haunted abandoned hospital in the world. That would be (laughs) probably the dude screwing with them. He's probably holding the door shut. Just not (laughs) making enough money. You're not, no, you're not making enough money to screw with those kids. You're just like, I make like $4 an hour. I can, I can tell you this. I'm, I'm going to go back to that comment, but I can tell you this. Uh, before I'm in the house that I'm at now, I was at a different haunted house uh, on a farm, basically. And my job there was, as you guys know, like a caretaker for the property where it was like, I didn't do too much in far- as like farming work, but it was more so like security because they had a big problem with kids just showing up and drinking and being kids and screwing in the parking lot or whatever. So, I thoroughly enjoyed whenever I saw a car roll down and I got to go out there and kick them out. And, you know, it'd be many long nights with me, Dave, my dad out there. And we would just go mess with them. <laughs> you know, go out there with flashlights, bang on the window, scare the shit out of them. Uh, it was a lot of fun. 
Uh, what was that comment? I want to I want to read that one from a uh, Pac-Man frog. Either way, the door could swing. You would think uh, the much force of hitting or or pulling the axe out would move the door. So you yeah, see that's the right So if you're slamming on a door with an with axe, an axe. That's a pull, when you pull the axe out, it would it would pull open. Right, that's a good point. Yeah, so this this was definitely one of the places that we were talking about we needed to cover. So I'm glad you picked it and got through it. Now, is there anything else in particular you'd want to hit on this? Uh, I guess room 502. So this was the room that's like that's like that's the room that people mm-hmm. go to. That's like the most haunted room. There's supposed to be a nurse that hung herself. There's a few problems with these stories. If we're going to start with the skeptic side of it, number one is neither of these nurses' deaths is verified by documentation. There's no actual proof that either of these nurses existed or died or hanged themselves or jumped off the roof. It's all just been told over time. Again, we don't have to keep going over how bad record keeping was in the 1900s, but that's a widely accepted thing is that these two nurses committed suicide. The other issue that you have is with the woman hanging herself. They, a lot of them say that she hung herself inside the room from a lighting fixture. If you see the lighting fixture in that room, there's no way it would support a body. So it would have broken down. It's hung up by like thin, thin chains. Andrew, didn't I say hanged? I, I've been pretty good about that. I said it correctly in the episode. If I said hung, I apologize. But, uh, she had hanged herself from the lighting fixture. So I don't think that checks out. So then the story kind of changed. The story changed to, well, she hung herself from the pipes outside of the room. Only problem is those pipes were installed in like the 1940s. So that would have been much further after, I believe it was said 1928 that she died. So neither of the stories really check out on where she could have hanged herself. And then the other thing is, if she hanged herself from the pipes outside, this is an active hospital. What time did she hang herself? Uh, she would have been discovered very, very quickly because there's, you know, there's people in and out of those dormitories at all times. So that one dependent, I bet there's not in the, if she's an overnight nurse or right. You could probably find some time. Yeah. I I mean, I would assume so. in those, in those places. So, and you don't know what kind of equipment was in that room that she could have used. I mean, it's, I understand yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all skeptical. I mean, you can drown in a two inch puddle. You can find something to, to tie a rope to, you know, like exactly. And as far as motive goes, if somebody's exposed to that much death every single day, people that, you know, you know, people that you see every day and they're just dying left and right. That takes a lot on. That could be it. The story. A- yeah. Again, it's all just kind of folklore, but the story behind her, the reason that she hanged herself was, I guess she was having an affair with one of the doctors. She ended up getting pregnant, couldn't deal with it. Ended up hanging herself. So, that's that story. I'm not entirely sure what the story is with the lady hopping off the roof, what her motive was, but I guess she was stationed in room 502 and that's how it ties back to uh, the same room. And that's why it's supposed to be the most active room. There's been a few cool pictures. I showed a couple of them for the uh, audio listeners. If you check it out uh, on YouTube, the, there was a pretty cool photo of like a spectral nurse, you know, so like the ghost of a nurse right outside the window of 502. And then mm-hmm. there was another one of just a clear boot with like, um, like half a leg and then it kind of disappears as it goes up. So I don't know what the validity is of these photos, but they were pretty cool photos of ghosts. Um, allegedly in and around five Oh two. And then even some of the other photos that I, I pulled up just trying to show like the abandoned hallways and everything, you could see like orbs and kind of shadows in those pictures if you look closely. So there's a, there's a lot of evidence that people have caught over the years. They've been investigating this thing. I think they bought it in what? 2001. 
I think you said 2001, yeah. Yeah, so they I mean they've had it for basically 20 years and they're doing work there too. So it's like it's not as freezing. They're they're doing it piece by piece. Obviously it's a massive structure, it's an expensive project, but they've uh replaced a lot of the windows. So that's better for paranormal investigations because it blocks out a lot of the noise that you would get from you know, wind going right. in and out. So they're doing a lot of work for it. I think on the roof, they had replaced a lot of the tiles, um, not necessarily for roofing, but, you know, for one of those areas that you could walk out, which was kind of the children's quarters. I think you see in one of the photos, there was um, a swing set and some of the kids playing on that swing set still up there, super rusty and creepy now, which is awesome. So there's a, there is plenty of uh, work to be done, obviously with a huge structure like that, but at least it's well enough where, Paranormal investigators can safely enter the building and check it out, and that's definitely on my uh, my list of places to visit. For sure, uh, I definitely enjoyed the story. Just kind of switching gears a little bit. Should I share the update that I got the other night on the show now, or should we save it? Oh no, that is huge. Do we save it? Eh, no, let's talk about it All because. Right. I, I was thinking maybe we tie it. In. I think maybe we tie this into Bridgewater Part Two because we've been talking about doing a Bridgewater Triangle episode. But well, we're, we are going to do a Bridgewater Triangle multi-part episode, and that's probably going to be in the summer that we're going to release that. So sounds good. That is kind of my game plan for that. I have a lot of plans that we'll go over some right now. But yeah, so basically, if everyone's here, listen to episode one, kind of the inspiration for this show was my grandparents' house. And we ended up getting rid of, like, selling the house back in the day. It's well, back in the day, like 2000, yeah. yeah, like 2015, 2014, something like that. And it was sold. It had a huge renovation done to it. It A new owner bought it. They've been living there for a while. And I had posted this, this the episode in a Bridgewater Triangle group just to uh, let people know about it. And a couple months later, I had somebody DM me and they said, can I ask what number on the street? And I said, here's the number. I don't want to say it because publicly, because I don't own the property anymore. It's important to remember that he had left the actual address out of the original episode and just yes. said the street that it was on. So we had said North street yes. and never, never said the actual number. So this right. was a this was a listener who heard the episode, and I'm going to let you continue. Yeah, so she heard the episode. She reached out to me about the number, and she said, I thought that this was the house. This is now my house, and let me tell you what I've experienced. So I probably should have been pulling this up as we went, but I will pull up the conversation I had. Right, um, so already that's so cool and i think she said she recognized it because of the tree that was outside yeah she thought it was, read, and that tree has been there for but the ever. two Basically. stories that she told were two he's stories a, he, he's about to pull them up right now so yeah, yeah but people are not going to be familiar with the story it's just the, like they're the two stories that this woman told were two stories that are almost identical to two stories that you experienced specifically like to a t Right. And and, and we experienced too. I'll let you read what, what she said, Rob, if you got that pulled up, but then yeah. I, I wanna I wanna touch on a couple of these. Yeah. So um she moved in in July of 2016. And after a few days of living here, 
I'd see my dog sitting in the hallway, but staring up the stairs and looking up to the top. I'd say, what the heck are you looking at? And then she would begin to bark at the stairs. It would freak me out, but I just brushed it off. This happened a few times with my other dog. He'd bark at the stairway a few times and nothing would be there. And then it would also happen with the cat meowing at the door. And then her wife would say, maybe she, the dogs just hear a mouse. Um, then she said, after my wife moved in with the son, the cat would cry to go up in the attic. I let him go up there, but within 20 minutes, he'd come down. I'd shut the door to the attic and also close the bedroom door to the room, to that room. So I can't picture this because it sounds like the, that upstairs has been renovated from what we know it used to look like. Uh, yeah, because that, that door used to be like an old wooden yeah, door. In a hallway. Right. And when I'd walk back in the bedroom... I'd find the attic door wide open. At first, I think, geez, I thought I closed that. And then this actually became a thing. And then I, <laughs> then I, then it kept happening and she started taking notice. She goes on to say the whole house had been renovated. So it wasn't like there is an old door that pops open. So this is important because I left this out of the story. Um, one of the things that used to happen to me is that attic door would be open, but this, this house was very old. It was an old wooden door. I had a double lock on it. It was a double lock though. Yeah. It had, it had the latch lock and then it had the chain lock. Right. But I would do anything I could to just try to debunk it. And for me, it was always like, all right, it's an old house. Something happened and it made the door open. Mm -hmm. So I left it out of the episode because I purposely always tried to, say that it wasn't part of the haunting. Mm -hmm. So now this house has been fully renovated and now she's having the same thing happening with a new door to the attic. And as we remember, the second floor and the attic of this house were always the most haunted in this house. Right. Absolutely. So that stood out. The other story that um, stood out is about two years ago, me and my wife were in the living room downstairs and we heard voices chatting. She said to me, do you hear that? I said, what? She said, someone in the house is talking. Did you leave the TV on upstairs? So I got up, went over to the stairway in the hall and my wife got up too. She walked over to the bottom of the stairs and then said, see, you did leave the TV on up there. I said, ah, no, I did not. She went, she went up the stairs, the wife, the, wife of the woman that wrote me is the skeptic that doesn't believe anything. And that's the one that went upstairs. And as soon as she walked up the stairs, the conversation stopped. She walked into the bedroom and the TV was off. That particular story gave me goosebumps when I read it because I have right now have told me the exact same story, almost word for word. You did not include it in the episode. No, I included it in the episode. It's in the episode. Yes. Okay. Because it's the scariest thing that happened to me. Yeah, um, still, that's it, that's so uh, spot on with with exactly what has happened in that house before. And then um, I didn't actually watch the episode, so <laughs> you were here. Uh, she also talked about footsteps, right? And um, yep they they've heard footsteps that are walking up along the hall. Same stuff that we oh, heard. Oh, the other one that she mentioned. I don't know if you read it already, but she was mentioning that her dog would, would sit at the bottom yeah. of the steps and bark up. Yeah, I mentioned that, yeah. You did mention Okay, so so this is exactly what happens in this house. Like, like, 
and my wife attests to it as well because we had brought our dog over uh, Max at the time. And Max was going nuts, but he refused to go up the stairs. He would sit at the bottom of the stairs and just bark up the stairs. He refused to go up there. And this is exactly, and I don't think we mentioned that Max on the podcast either. Legs. Was it possible he just couldn't go up the stairs? No, no, he goes upstairs. Little, little legs. Yeah. No, he, he could have got up those stairs. And he wasn't the only dog that did that. The only dog that didn't do that after a while was my grandparents' dog, Gretchen. And she just lived in the house for so long that I don't think it bothered her anymore. But she did in the beginning. Right. So it, I remember interviewing your grandmother when we actually did investigate the house. And she had mentioned that about the dogs. She always mentioned about there's always just conversations happening there. There was always just they're just talking. And she just her willingness just to live with it was like what struck me as authentic where it was she was just like oh yeah yeah there oh there's ghosts yeah they have conversations you know that they'll be talking you know <laughs> it's just she just had lived there for so long that clearly she uh she had accepted what it was so and i had only heard it once but that is still the scariest night of my particular life was hearing mm-hmm. that conversation at the top of the stairs you must have been rattled when you read that woman's message about that. I was just the like, exact same story. I was just like, Jesus, man. Like if she's experienced, like, cause like we said, the entire house has been renovated. So it's not like they just put in a new door. They, this house got gutted and redone. It oh, was yeah, an old good. house. It's brand new. Yeah. It's hard to recognize. Yeah. So the other update is I have been invited to come see the house. So that's exciting. I am going to take her up on her offer and I am going to go uh, walk around the house. They also dug the backyard. Oh, yeah. And they found a bunch of bones, which makes sense because it used to be a farm. So they, they're they pretty sure it's just like old animal bones. Yeah, like cow bones or whatever. Yeah. The one that interested me was that she found like a fossilized rib cage in a um, and a stone. stone yeah. So I mean, I assume it's that's old. Kyle yeah, ribs, but yeah, that's definitely uh, that is the most interesting and uh, fun update I've ever gotten. On so it's just, it's, I mean, our podcast has been growing, which is nice, but not to the fact, not to the point that I thought that the people that we did the that bought my grandparents' house would find the episode. All right. So one thing you got to find out when you get there is Soph wants the bones. So yeah, I'll see what and I, I do there. And the funnier, the funnier thing about that is I know she's dead serious. Yeah. Yeah. And we uh, know she's serious. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's super fun. So mission number two is when you go there and you see the house and you talk to her, I'm going to need you to work your magic and see if maybe we can get in there for an investigation. So yeah. maybe, you know, that might be a little, that might be asking a little too much, but you know, if they're open for it, that would be a, a hell of a part two for the Bridgewater episode. We'll see. Sure, sure. But we'll, we'll see about see. that. Anyways, uh, so that was the uh, Waverly Hills episode. Definitely on our bucket list of places to visit. Um, I do want to thank um, our Patreon subscriber. We got a new one this week. I can't remember. What was her name? Ste- uh, Sarah. Sarah. Sarah R. Yeah. So thank you so much for the uh, Patreon sub. We also got a few subs on Twitch. So if you want your name in the credits as well, uh, you can go ahead and swing on over to Patreon, find us, and subscribe to us on there. $3 and you're immortalized forever. In you're basically an, an executive producer for yeah. the show. Like That's absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And not only did we put your name in once, like promised, 
you put everybody's name in twice, which is just and then I shouted them out at the end of the show. Yeah, that's like one dollar to nine dollars. I was just like, I figure you a dollar per per mention there, right? Anyways, uh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I do appreciate that. And anybody else uh, that wants to see it, we do put a lot of time, money, and effort into this uh, this production, gentlemen. What do we got coming up here? Next week we have the Sally House. Yes, demons. You were ready for that for that ghosts. <laughs> I was reading the book earlier. It was right next to me. Nice. Um, yeah, this is a crazy story. This is a crazy, crazy story. So. This is like my favorite story. This so, is up there. As much as I want to go to Waverly Hills, my number one spot is the Sally House. What's the, mm-hmm. um, where is it? It's in Atchison, Kansas. And it was a ghost story that occurred in uh, early 1990s, 93 to 94. Family moved into a house pregnant expecting a baby and the stuff started Stop happening. It. Yeah, yeah. Don't stuff tell me anything. Else. I still know nothing about it. So uh, that's all we need to say. Then stuff started happening. Hell yeah. Pac-Man frog. Uh, she'll be fully prepared with all the questions. I know nothing. If you're, about as, this. Prepared I'm with your, if you're as prepared with your questions as you were for the Viacos case, um, just come on as a guest and talk with us. <laughs> she, she was vastly more prepared than I was for the Vikings case. So that was good. That was good. Speaking of which, so I know nothing about the Sally house. So you tell me, do you want me to do my research and be smart on the episode? Or do you want me to just be blown away? Uh, I should do my research. do my research. We're professionals. Yeah. All right, fine. You spoil all the fun. So the week, yeah, the, week, the week after that, and I'm going to drop this bombshell on YouTube because this is a, an executive decision I've decided to make. What I'm going to do for that episode is we are going to do an episode on the Annabelle doll. And the reason why we're kind of kind of stray a little bit and not do a, a town, which I still might be able to link a town to it, but we are going to be doing side content going forward where we do a curse possession steer- series. So either once or twice a month, we're going to drop some side content where it's going to be like a, a it's not going to be a live show, but we're going to drop a video like we normally do. It's going to be a little bit shorter. We're going to have a little shorter discussion afterwards. So probably all in all, it's going to be like a 20 to 30 minute long episode. And that way we can kind of give you guys some more stuff. And the other thing with that is if you join the Patreon, you're going to be able to get that episode 48 hours before everybody else. So we're going to drop that on Patreon for 48 hours before and, and then we'll upload it to YouTube and the podcast and everything like that. So um, that's good. But for, but for the Annabelle doll, it's going to be a regular episode just to kind of show you what we're going to be doing with these curse possession series. And like I said, we're going to be doing a different, some different kind of content throughout the next few months where we're adding some extra stuff for Patreon and stuff and all mm-hmm. and everybody. I'm actually trying. I'm, I'm in the process of trying to acquire a cursed object, oh. a cursed book. And if you're familiar with uh, Shams Al Ma'arif Al Kubra, the book, of course, oh, yeah, who's not? Absolutely. Well, I mean, it is. It, it's kind of. Um, it's it is somewhat well known. And it's, I got that name tattooed on my left. <laughs> <laughs> it is a uh, it is a cursed book. If you start reading it and don't finish, you die. And uh, finish the book, Dave. Well, I can't find it in English. <laughs> Everything I found is in Arabic. So if I do acquire it, at least I'm not able to start reading it. <laughs> so, that means you definitely didn't finish it. I don't. I haven't acquired it yet. I'm trying to okay. find it. I'm trying to find it in English. 
All right. So, and before we go, we have to talk about this story because it broke today and I haven't been able to read a ton on it. Have you guys heard about the Japanese killing stone? Uh, and I'll talk about Calvin Ridley. <laughs> no, that broke yesterday. Oh, fine. Um, no, I haven't heard of the Japanese killing stone. There was an evil demon that was locked in a rock in Japan for almost a thousand years. And the rock broke open. And now that's demon is supposedly on the loose. So that's fun. Just it's fun. Respond. That That's exciting. Yeah. That's a good where, one to do too. Where uh, is this? Japan? This is in Japan. Yeah. It just broke open today. Um, it, that, is, demon, that, is, that is a very fun update. Yeah. So I, uh, the volcanic rock officially called Sesho Sakai is home to Tomomo no Mei, AKA the nine tailed Fox, which is very Naruto. But that's fine. Um, the demon apparently took the form of a beautiful woman who is part of a plot to kill Emperor Toba, ruler of Japan, from 1107 to 1123. Well, at least it's only like 14 minutes. Um, it says that some speculate that the evil spirit awful. may have even been resurrected to wreck to wreak havoc once more. That is a... Uh... <laughs> That is a very dark update. <laughs> so that happened today. If you guys were wondering, uh, there's a Japanese nine tail spirit demon running around. And Russell Wilson side with the Broncos. So was, yeah, same thing, really. I just had to talk about that for an hour and a half. A lot, so. of, cha- a lot of chaos going on here. <laughs> uh, I do want to go back to Catherine's comment. She said that uh, no one wants to translate that book because they don't want to die. I found it in <laughs> Arabic and I found it in Spanish. So neither of those are helpful. Spanish is probably more dangerous because I understand some Spanish, so I could start reading it and not be able to finish it, and it's just like automatic death. Mm. Oh, it's better than the guy who translated who died, so. Mm. Right. <laughs> Very good. Anyways, this has been a Spanish episode. version is only three quarters complete. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the uh, the Monty Python when they're reading the, the rock or whatever. Just inscribe that into a rock. Anyways, uh, this has been episode number 20 of Hometown Ghost Stories, the Waverly Hills Sanatorium in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. So we have this one's a K and then next week's a K. So we finished the V series. And now we're on to the Ks. Yeah. We're not going to do a third one of those, though, for obvious reasons. So, all right, we're moving on to what's the next town? Atchison, Kansas. Boom, we're on to A's. All right, very good. Very good. All right, gentlemen. So that is uh, that. is that. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe. Drop a review on the podcast. We keep getting the reviews. Please. Five stars. I don't know who the one person is that left as a four star. I'm glad it wasn't a one star, but come on, man. What are you doing? You messed up the five star streak. It makes it look more authentic. Dial it in. Dial it in. But please write a review, too. That would yeah, be very much helpful. And we will read them. We'll read them on air. Yes, absolutely. So thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, we will catch you next week for a brand new episode of Hometown Ghost Story live every Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll see you guys. Bye.